You are listening to a sermon from Emmaus Church LCMS. For more information, please go to www.emmauspasco.org. Behold, O Lord, a lamb of your own flock, a sheep of your own fold, and a sinner of your own redeeming. Amen. 1 Peter 2, verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You were shown no mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to keep away from the fleshly desires that do battle against the soul. The word of our Lord. If there is a silver lining to this pandemic, to the quarantine and its economic hardship, it's the distance, the distance that we feel from the people we love, from from one another, spatially, emotionally, spiritually. If there's a silver lining to all of this, it is that we are being reminded in no uncertain terms that we are strangers and exiles. Strangers and exiles. From whom? Well, from our culture. From our culture. Our culture is deeply divided right now. Americans are divided by politics, by religion, by race, by how to respond to this coronavirus. And now that we are permitted gatherings by our governor, we are bringing that division to church. So some want to gather as though nothing's wrong, and others are vehemently opposed to gathering at all. Some, the governor has, has mandated that we wear masks, and some are carefully obeying. And some are, no, this is not my thing, I'm not going to do it. We come from a divided culture and we bring that division together when we gather. And this is hard. So, because it, it, it means, practically for me, there's only one clear thing I know, is that whatever I do next is going to make someone mad. So there's a little bit of freedom in that. But I want to thank you guys for being here today. I want to thank you for being here today because we gather as strangers and exiles, which means we are insisting today that all that division does not define our identity. But Peter says, as strangers and exiles, keep away from the fleshly desires that do battle against your soul. And this is what he means. Those fleshly desires aren't just talking about food or sex. It's talking about all the pressure of your culture. And right now our culture is driven by anger, by fear, by suspicion, by resentment, by pride, by selfishness. And our flesh, our sinful human nature, wants us to feel at home in all of this. It wants us to find kindred spirits and fit in with them. It wants us to walk and talk and think like the people around us long enough to forget that we are indeed strangers, to forget that we are indeed exiles. Our flesh wants us to forget this. But Peter's message in his letter is that Jesus has changed our fundamental allegiance. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you were divided by race, by politics, by religion, by tradition, now you are a chosen people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Once you found your identity in other things, things that don't hold you together, but now that has changed. Because when you were baptized, or when you came to faith in Jesus, 
Your citizenship was transferred to God's kingdom. You called Jesus Lord. And that means you are bound together with everyone else who calls Jesus Lord. And this gives you a new identity, making you an exile from the culture that is all around you. So in other words, Peter says, we will be weird. We'll be weird. Once you were shown mercy, once you were shown no mercy, he says, because that's the way the world works. But now you have received mercy because that's the way of Christ. And thus to be bound by faith to Jesus is to be bound to a new community that is being formed to this weirdo named Jesus that refuses to fit in with our world and its culture. And so as strangers and exiles being formed to the image of Jesus, we are made into what's called a counterculture. A counterculture. And that is never more obvious than it has been in the last few weeks. And so today I want to explore with you some ways in which we are a counterculture. And I'm actually going to be, be taking here from a, a, a wonderful little article shared like a couple of weeks ago by uh, the, uh, Brett McCracken, the senior editor of the Gospel Coalition, on a, in a post he wrote on their blog saying, Church, do not let coronavirus divide you. And he points out that this is only going to happen when we accept our identity as a counterculture. And we accept and we recognize the shape of this counterculture. So we're going to go through four things. Four things that in which we are distinct from the culture around us. And the first is this. The gospel makes us a counterculture of sacrifice. Romans 12.1, I exhort you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God. This is your reasonable service. The pandemic and all of its, and this quarantine has brought to the fore the ugly self-centeredness of our culture. Whether it be hoarding toilet paper, or hoarding masks, or supplies, times like these when people are scared reveal how they are always ready to put themselves first. My safety, my rights, my preferences, my toilet paper. And to this self-centered culture, the church has a chance to be a counterculture of sacrifice, a, a culture that lives not by our desires or our wants or our needs, but by Jesus' sacrifice. We actually see an example of this in our Acts lesson for today. Paul, this is towards the end of his ministry. He's been on many missionary journeys. He is uh, spoken with Jews and Gentiles across the Mediterranean, and here he returns back to Jerusalem. And when he returns to Jerusalem, the Jewish Christians know that his reputation has preceded him. It has been told that he no longer follows the laws of Moses. It has been told that he no longer insists on eating kosher, or he does not insist that Gentiles be circumcised. And so the Christians there know that Paul's arrival will provoke outrage. That's something we're familiar with these days. And so they ask Paul to participate in a ritual, an Old Testament ritual that, that he knows he is free from. He knows that he does not, it is not required of him. But he does it. He does it for the sake of his neighbor. And he sacrifices his rights and his freedoms so that he might be, not become a stumbling block for his Jewish brothers and sisters. He's just doing what he preached in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. To the Jew, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law, but under the law of Christ, 
that I might win those outside the law. So now I know the requirements that have been placed on us for social distancing, for outdoor worship, for wearing these ridiculous masks. And by ridiculous, I mean it refuses to stay on my face, as you can see. It is onerous. It is annoying. And I don't like it any more than you do. I really don't. And the purpose of the masks, the purpose of all these things, is to love our neighbors. And perhaps you find them to be difficult and offensive. And I appreciate to see those of you who put them on this week and, and, and exemplified this, this love of neighbor. And some of you I know, and I've heard from some of you that, that, you, that they don't work and they're not important and they're not actually as effective as they said. And, and here's the thing, even if that were right, even if that is right, can we not sacrifice that, that ideal and that freedom that we have for one another and for the sake of one another? If you are frustrated with us for gathering today, if you think that we should not be, it's possible, you may be right. Cases are rising in our area, but we are abiding by the recommendations given to us by the governor. And can we not show one another that same grace that Paul shows to his Jewish brothers and sisters? So that we can all together accept that this is a sacrifice, a sacrifice and a trial, a sacrifice and a trial through which the Holy Spirit is conforming us to the image of Jesus. There's a beautiful thing in our confessions about election, and this is probably going off into the clouds, but those are beautiful clouds, so let's go. That, and if you don't get this, that's fine, you can ignore it. But, but from eternity past, God has not only ordained your salvation, our confessions say it has ordained the sufferings through which you will be shaped into Jesus. You are wearing a mask right now because God decided in eternity past that that's was how you were going to follow your Savior Jesus. Wearing an annoying, onerous mask that refuses to stay on your face like a disobedient dog. This is the posture of sacrifice for which the gospel equips us. And we must embrace it as a culture, a counterculture of sacrifice. All right, but this requires something of us, that we be a counterculture of humility. This is the second one. First Peter 5 says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That is the second point. One of the prominent features of this whole ordeal, and if you haven't noticed it, then you haven't been watching the news, which is not necessarily a bad thing, is the unfounded certainty with which we all seem to be progressing. So many people seem to be speaking. Whether it be projections, whether it be this scientific study or that scientific study, this whole, this whole period has been, has been characterized by an, un, uh, an undergirded of, with pride and certainty in our own beliefs. And certainty that gives us contempt for those who disagree. That makes us look down on those who have reservations about what's going on and what's, whether this is really helpful. That makes us feel vindicated. And here's the thing, this is how our sinful nature works. Because if we have certainty, we have a clear standard of right and wrong, and we can put ourselves on the right, and then we can judge those who are not. But if we admit that this is really hard, and all of us, from top to bottom, are doing our best to figure it out as we go along, and we can, we can recognize, well, James had a point when he said, be quick to hear, be quick to listen, slow to speak, 
and slow to anger. Quick to hear. This is so difficult for us because our ears are selective. We listen to those things that like to confirm what we already think. And we're really good at surrounding ourselves with things that will, will tell us what we want to hear. And we don't listen so well to those things we don't want to hear. We all know this because our children do it. And we don't stop doing it when we grow up. But part of this humility is an epistemic humility. Being humble enough to question our own biases, our own fears, and our own desires, and our own selective hearing. Being slow to speak, acknowledging our own lack of certainty, our own lack of knowledge. And being clear about it with ourselves and with others. And being slow to anger. Being aware of the way that our sinful heart is going to put our needs, our values, and our experiences above those of others. And this means, perhaps, for those of you who are tempted to judge your neighbors, for whatever, to look down on us because we're gathering, or to look down on those who are staying home, we all need to question our own assumptions. We haven't arrived at the definitive answers about this. And it takes courage to admit that everything is not obvious right now. And that's okay. Maybe that means some folks will stay home for a long time. That's okay. Maybe that means that some of us will continue to gather. And that's okay. But let us follow Peter and clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. And strive to approach one another with the mind of Christ. And this means, third thing, that we must be a counterculture of patience. Patience. Ephesians 4 I, therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Patience comes actually from the word pasio, which is suffering. It's, it hurts to be patient. Again, if you're not a parent, just try it. it it's how it works. But, here, but, but Paul in Ephesians actually gives us the, the, the anatomy of patience. Bearing with one another in love. Bearing, carrying, suffering with one another in love. And eager, eager to maintain the unity. That is putting our unity with one another and our bond of peace above everything else. This is the third way we are a counterculture. To demonstrate patience with one another. Because we know our sinful nature wants things our way and it wants it now. It wants control and certainty. But just as Christ bore us, bearing the foolishness of his disciples and their slowness of heart to believe all that he had said, so we bear with one another in love. And we wait for one another. We, re we recognize that this present moment, as long as it is, is a blip on the span of eternity. An eternity that we all get to share with one another. And so someday, from the realm of eternity, we will look back and we will thank Jesus for carrying us through this together. We'll thank Jesus for whatever he taught us through all this teaching us to be patient, to suffer together, and to bear each other's burdens. And something happens. Something happens when we become a counterculture of humility and a counterculture of patience. We become something that our culture desperately needs right now. And that is a counterculture of nuance. <laughs> nuance. The ability to recognize and handle complex, differing points of view without oversimplifying them. We live in a terribly unnuanced age. Nuance doesn't sell well, it doesn't market well, it doesn't share well on Facebook. Our media, 
doesn't, does not thrive on nuance. Nuance requires patience and calm. And this is only worse because our culture is, as we said, hyper-partisan, it's super divided. And we're actually becoming a post-truth culture. And what I mean by that is that we no longer trust any authorities to help us navigate our differences with one another. We just trust everything. And that's really dangerous. Everything is up for grabs. And this is a really dangerous situation because if we no longer believe that, that dialogue is possible, that nuanced dialogue is possible across different opinions, we no longer believe in reason and we no longer believe in truth and the only thing left is power. The only thing left is intimidation. The only thing left is to vilify those who disagree. And we as Christians, patient, sacrificial, and humble, are freed to be a people of nuance that our culture, well, needs. Because as a Christian, as Christians, as the church, we live by the power of the Holy Spirit, who bears fruit in us in love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, and gentleness, and self-control. Talk about countercultural. Can you imagine a pundit who is kind and gentle, making his way onto TV? That's boring. That's boring. But that's the fruit of the Spirit. It's us avoiding extremes. Avoiding the extreme of dismissing this all as one grand conspiracy. Avoiding the extreme of judging and condemning those who are regathering. Being free to be skeptical of some of the ways this works. Because we, don't, we are all trying to figure this out as we go along. It means honoring the governing authorities, even when we disagree with them. While being free to engage in civil pushback. When, that, when they call us to disobey God. And if we do this, and we live out this baptismal identity in Christ, walking by the power of his spirit as a people of sacrifice and humility and patience and nuance, it will become very obvious that we are strangers and exiles. No longer welcome. We'll have to accept that we will look weird and different from the people around us, and that our sinful human flesh is striving, is against us, to make us want to fit in. To make us want to be accepted and loved by the people around us, so much so that we lose our identity. We lose what makes us who we are. And I know this is hard, guys. This is hard for everyone. This is not fun. But this is a life in the Spirit, bound together by baptism, bound together in one community, a community of strangers and exiles who are being formed into the image of Jesus, who loves us, who died for us, and who rose again and lives right now by the power of the Spirit, and that's what Jesus is up to right now. That's what Jesus is up to right now. He's shaping in you his own image. Greater love has no man than this, than he who lays down his life for a friend. Paul puts this beautifully and powerfully, and that's what I'm going to close with today. In Philippians 2, as he admonishes the church, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, counting others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, 
taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. May the peace of Jesus Christ our Lord, that passes all our understanding, may it guard your hearts and minds this day and to the end of all things. Amen. This has been a message from Emmaus Church LCMS. We thank you for listening and invite you to find out more by visiting our website at www.emmauspasco.org. That's www.emmauspasco.org.